You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. Let's open our Bibles, Genesis 47, verse 13. Let's bring our hearts before the Lord uh, as we open his word. Jesus, we come before you and we ask that you personally would teach us. That we would hear your voice today. For Lord, we know this is your will. This is your word. Your word, your will, they are one and the same. And so, Lord, speak to us today that we might hear the wondrous things that are written in your law. And, Lord, we gathered in your name today to worship you. If we came without even thinking, Lord, we're thinking now, we're here to worship you. We're here to hear from you. So, Lord, have mercy on us. Cleanse us of our sin. Speak to us personally. For we know that you have called us to worship you in spirit and in truth. We don't know how to do that without your spirit leading us. So have your way with us now, Lord. We ask in Jesus' name. And every man and woman said? Amen. Amen. Genesis 47, verse 13. Now there was no bread in all the land. For the famine was severe. That's an understatement. A seven-year famine. So extreme that the nations of the earth are coming to Egypt for grain. How did Egypt have grain? Well, God revealed what he was going to do on the earth ahead of time. He gave dreams to the Pharaoh in his grace, in his mercy. Pharaoh could not understand, could not grasp, could not hear the voice of God. And so he tells the dreams to Joseph. And Joseph, knowing the heart of God, God gives him discernment. And Joseph says, Pharaoh, God has told you what he is going to do on the earth. There's going to be seven years of abundant prosperity. And it will be followed by the seven years of incredible famine. Famine uh, that is just extremely severe over all the land. Sure enough, it all comes to pass exactly as Joseph prophesied. And all the nations of the earth come to Egypt because Joseph had Egypt save grain uh, in every city, uh, tremendous leadership. And so there's grain in Egypt during this severe famine. One more time, verse 13, there was no bread in all the land for the famine was very severe. So the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. Yeah, people dying, right? And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan. Uh, All the nations coming to Egypt to buy grain. For the grain which they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. Uh, Here we see uh, Joseph's leadership saved lives and brought tremendous wealth to the nation of Egypt. God used them to save lives and all these people from Egypt and all the people from these surrounding nations were coming and bringing their money 
to buy grain. And, and uh, Egypt gets even more wealthy under Joseph's leadership. Verse 15. So when the money failed in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, uh, notice that, that, that not just Egypt, but also the surrounding areas, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, give us bread. For why should we die in your presence? For the money has failed. What are they saying? We're broke. We're broke. We got no money. So Joseph said, give your livestock and I will give you bread or grain for your livestock if the money is gone. Uh, they said, yeah, well, what good is livestock? I mean, look at our, our cows are so skinny. They can't even eat. Yeah, we'll give you our, our livestock. We can't even feed them. Verse 17. So they brought their livestock to Joseph. And Joseph gave them bread or grain in exchange for their horses, their flocks. That would be sheep and that kind of thing. The cattle of the herds. And for their donkeys. In other words, all different sorts of livestock. Thus he, that's Joseph, fed them with bread in exchange for all their livestock that year. So here we see this is over a long period of time. And for a couple of years, they, they used their money. And now all their money's gone. And after the money's gone, they use all their what? Livestock. Interesting. You, at verse 14, you can write money. At verse 15 through 17, you can write livestock. Uh, now, more years go by. Look at this. When that year had ended, remember, this is a seven-year famine, no rain at all, just no, no crops. They came to him the next year and said, we will not hide it from the Lord that our money is gone. My Lord also has our herds and our livestock. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes? Before we and our land. By us and our land for bread. And we and our land will be servants of Pharaoh. Give us seed that we may live. We're, just, we're not going to make it, right? We just need food. Give us, give us food that we might live and not die. That the land may not be desolate. Uh, here it shows the severity of this famine. They are literally, literally starving to death. And they're coming, they're saying, hey, we're willing to give you, uh, we don't have any money left. We don't have any livestock left. We're willing to give you all of our property because we just want to stay alive. Isn't it very interesting, by the way, how famine, how hardship will clarify your focus on what really matters. I look at the nation today in our hyper-abundant prosperity. And you know what we're doing? Running amok on foolish things, arguing about silly things. Uh, you called me the wrong pronoun for crying out loud. Is that the extent of our problems? We're having to invent them. We got to invent problems. And it's interesting how under times of prosperity, we go sideways. And when there is famine, when there is hardship, we get a clarity. Very interesting, by the way, we look at the nation of Sodom and Gomorrah. And when you think of Sodom and Gomorrah, what do you think of? What just comes to mind? Let me hear you. When you think of Sodom and Gomorrah, what, what do you think of? Hypersexual sin. 
kind of like America. In Ezekiel 16, do you know what God says was the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah? He doesn't even mention the sexual sin. Do you know what he says in Ezekiel 16? I think it's verse 48 or 49. I keep, my mind's not quite clear right now. Uh, 1640, this is verbatim. This was the sin of your sister Sodom. He, he's talking to Israel. He calls Sodom and Gomorrah their sister because they're behaving the same way. This was the sin of your sister Sodom. Top of the list, pride. Number two, fullness of food. Number three, an abundance of idleness. A lot of time on your hands. You're not working very hard. Everybody's at the beach. <laughs> Neither did she care for the hand of the, the, the needs of the poor and the needy. Pride and abundance of idleness. Fullness of food. Neither did she care for the, those that were in need. Interesting. When we have too much time on our hands... When life gets too easy, humans are very sinful, and we start playing with things we shouldn't be playing with. We start doing things we shouldn't be doing. And it's amazing how a little famine will bring us back to a proper focus. Uh, I intentionally chose the book of Acts for our men's and women's ministry because I believe that the nation is moving towards some difficult times. And it's going to be harder and harder to be a Christian in a fallen world. And uh, we want to be rooted and grounded in truth so that when adversity comes to us, we don't crumble. Instead, we shine brightly and grow and are strengthened. Uh, uh, very interesting what happens here in Egypt, and it's all through history. It happens over and over again. The fall of the Roman Empire, by the way, you might want to study it. Uh, it, it, it crumbled from within. Uh, I really diverted. Where did I leave off on? 20, thank you. Uh, yeah, shows the severity of this famine. Verse 20. Then Joseph bought all the land of Egypt. So now he's got what? All the money of Egypt, all the livestock of Egypt, and all the land of Egypt. Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. Every man of the Egyptians sold his field because the famine was severe upon the land. So the land became Pharaoh's. Verse 21, and as for the people, he moved them into cities from one end of the borders of Egypt to the other end. Uh, this is a difficult verse to translate. The Hebrew is not quite clear, and there's some manuscript differences on this particular verse. Uh, we don't know if it's saying this, that he moved them in cities from one end to the other, or that he made serv servants of them from one end of Egypt to the other. Uh, uh, Either way, it kind of gives you a flavor of what's going on. Um, they went from a, a position of being landowners to a feudal system of, of land, which is the government owns the land and you operate the land. You, you work the land. Uh, very interesting, by the way. Last week, you may remember, I showed you some archaeological evidence of this history, historical account that we're reading, right? Uh, well, here it is again. We can go back to the 12th dynasty, the time of 1870 uh, BC in that range, uh, and we see that in Egypt, uh, we have clear historical records of this, that land ownership was common before this time, 
And at this time, it changed into a feudal system where the government owned the land and the people uh, leased the land, if you will, and, and interesting, right? And it, uh, just exactly what happened here, Joseph did that. Uh, verse 20, only the land of the priest he did not buy, for the priest had rations allotted to them by Pharaoh, uh, and they ate the rations which the Pharaoh gave them. The, the priests were on Egyptian payroll, so they got grain for free, so they didn't have to get rid of their lands. These priests, by the way, are not good guys. These are pagan priests. Uh, they're worshiping Ra, the sun god, and all these other things. And, and uh, uh, anyway, uh, they didn't sell their lands. Verse 23, then Joseph said to the people, indeed, I have brought you, bought your land this day for Pharaoh. Uh, here we see in verse 23, something happens. We've now come between verse 22 and verse 23 to the end of the seven-year famine. And now chapter 20, I mean, verse 23 moves into, uh, it starts raining again, right? Uh, Joseph says to the people, I have bought your land this day for Pharaoh. Look, here is seed for you, and you shall sow in the land. And it shall come to pass in the harvest that you shall give one-fifth to Pharaoh. Four-fifths shall be your own as seed for the field for your food, for those of your households, and food for your little ones, and one-fifth of it is going to be for Pharaoh, right? Uh, so uh, that's a 20% tax. Uh, they're now back into where the, 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 the rains have come, the ground is producing, the crops are happening again, and Joseph uh, instills this 20% tax. Uh, how many of you think that's a lot of tax, 20% tax? Uh, if you are, someone over here says, are you kidding? That's nothing. Uh, <laughs> If you're a middle-aged, excuse me, middle-income bracket in North County, you are probably paying close to 30-something percent on your federal tax return. On top of that, you have a state tax. On top of that, you have a property tax that is exorbitant. Property tax looks like a rent check now, man. I mean, it's like a lot, right? On top of property tax, you have almost 8% what? Sales tax. On top of sales tax, you have gas tax. And then a million other nuances that they can throw at you anywhere they can. I'm waiting for e-bikes to be taxed next. Uh, right? Uh, you add all that up, and you're close to a 50% tax bracket. How does 20% sound now? Not too shabby, right? Uh, uh, Look at verse 25. So they said, you have saved our lives. Here we see this is not a dictatorship. This is a great leader. He is really caring for the people. And they know it. And they are thankful for his leadership. Joseph, you have saved our lives. Let us find favor in, your, in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants. They become willing vassals under his leadership. I want you to know, uh, uh, government is not the problem, and government is not the answer. Uh, there, there are multiple styles of government that can be good, but government is only as good as those who are leading it. Uh, I've, I've studied church governance in depth. Uh, 
I have read countless books on church governance. And you know what I've realized? It's only as good as the leaders of the church, no matter what governance you have. Uh, there is a common phrase, we all know it well, absolute power corrupts what? Absolutely. And here we see Joseph leading, and yet the people are blessed. And they're, why? Because he's a selfless leader caring for them. The very best form of government would actually be a monarchy where you had a really good king who really cared for the people and made good laws. I want you to know that day is coming. There is only one king who will not allow absolute power to corrupt him absolutely. The reason that every form of government breaks down, uh, the reason that a monarchy is not good in the world is not because the idea of a monarchy is not good. What's the problem? The monarch. Instead of thinking about your best interest, he starts thinking about, and he starts getting or she starts getting really wacko, Kim Jong-un, on the things that they do because they don't care about you. They only care about themselves. And so our country, our founding fathers, brilliant men, they understood this. And they brought three branches of government to our Constitution. And each branch was to be what? Separate. A check and balance on the other branch. So that this branch couldn't get too strong and, and be selfish and this branch would hold it accountable and this branch would hold it accountable and it accountable and there was this process of checks and balances furthermore with these three branches of government we also had a fourth branch called the press and the press would make sure that these three branches they would report what they were doing so that we all knew, right? And we all have responsibility in this. Like we're to make sure that these branches of government are operating properly and the press, it helps us do that. And you know what's happened? You know what's become? What would happen if these branches all came in collusion together and became corrupt? And we long for the day when a righteous king rules and reigns and there will be no democracy, no voting, praise the Lord, no voting, just a king who selflessly loves the people. His name is Jesus. He's the creator of the universe. Every good and perfect gift is from him. There is no variation or shadow of turning. He always does what is best for you in every decision he makes. Oh my gosh. Come, Lord Jesus, come, right? Uh, I long for the day. Joseph, by the way, is a prefigure of that king. And I want you to see something. When you have a godly king ruling over you, it is wise for you to say, my money is yours. My career, my livestock are yours. My land is yours. My life is yours. What a good king. What a good king. I know you have the best for me. If any of these things are hindering you from surrendering to Jesus. Last week we talked about our sanctification. Be wise. Be wise. This is the very best way for you to live. Uh, be careful of being that proverbial monkey who holds on to the beans so tight that he can't get his hand out of the trap. Uh, uh, keep an open hand with the Lord. Right? Uh, keep an open hand. Um, 
Again, I rattled off. Where do we, where do we go? Where are we? Help me again. What verse? 27. Thank you. Uh, uh, let's hit 26 one more time. And Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt. And then underline these words, if you will. Read them with me. Joseph made, verse 26, Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt to this day. That's so sad. In other words, at the time Moses was writing the book of Genesis, he says it's still this way in Egypt. This godly leader, long, long gone by centuries, and yet Egypt's still collecting what? 20% tax. And this is the problem with government. Uh, you give them something and they what? They never give it back, man. They never give it back. Uh, may we be wise. May we learn. Uh, uh, Joseph made a law over the land of Egypt, and unfortunately to this day it's still that way, that Pharaoh should have one-fifth, except for the land of the priests, only which, be, uh, which did not become Pharaoh's. Verse 27. So Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt, in the country of Goshen, and they had possessions there, great possessions there. And they grew, and they multiplied exceedingly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. Here we see the Bible gives a tremendous contrast between life in Egypt and God's people. Life in Egypt, it was hardship, it was famine. They were uh, surrendering everything. And what was happening to God's people? They were growing uh, with possessions. They were prospering. Uh, uh, they had great possessions. They grew and they multiplied exceedingly, it says. Uh, how amazing. Uh, God uses Joseph to save Egypt from starvation and death. But God uses Joseph to bless his people abundantly. They were prospering. Uh, even in the midst of severe famine, Israel and his family are prospering. And here they are seeing the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. They are becoming a powerful nation, even in the midst of adversity and famine. Uh, God is keeping his word and bringing good things to his people. And church, I want to just pause for a second and give, you, give us some practical application. I want you to hold on to this. God always provides for his people. Always. The psalmist would say, I have never seen the righteous forsaken. Never. Or his descendants begging bread. Never. Just the opposite. They are always generous. They are always lending. They are always giving to others. They always have enough to, even, if, even during a famine, they say, well, I've got enough. Come on in, have a meal. Right? If you are going through, through a difficulty, I want you to know God always provides for his people. Keep your eyes fixed and focused on him. During COVID, I saw some very different things in the world. I saw some people who went through great emotional duress during that time. Even taking their lives I saw people fall apart emotionally. I saw people just crumble and, and, and really, uh, really struggle. And I saw others grow 
and prosper and increase and grow in stature and wisdom and discernment because they kept their eyes on the Lord. I don't care what kind of famine, what kind of hardship the world has. God always provides for his people if we will keep our eyes on him. I told a story and uh, yeah, praise the Lord. I told a story that for time's sake in first service that for time's sake I'm not going to tell, but I watched a person in this in the, in our church who who of all people who should have crumbled. This woman lost her husband at the beginning of COVID, not because of COVID, but because of an accident. And now she's a single mom. Here I am telling the story. Uh, a single mom with two children. And she kept her eyes on Jesus in incredible hardship. And we, I thought, man, we got to watch her. We got to make sure she's okay. You know what? We, we had, I think we only helped a tiny bit. And she just, thrived and she grew as a woman in stature in wisdom in discernment uh, she's raising these two kids as a single mom uh, they lost their dad and the daughters are thriving i'm now i'm not saying it's not i mean obviously hard losing a father right losing a husband but she's thriving uh, it's allison kuykendall she became a leader of one of our awana group ministries allison you sure you yeah i want to serve and she just knocked it out of the park. The Lord used her powerfully. And I met with her to make sure she was doing okay. And I said, well, how are you doing? The amount of money she saved during this time increased way over any time when she was, when she was married. God just providing for her and taking care of her. It just blew, it's beyond comprehension how it happened. And, you know, she just moved out of state. Last Sunday was her last Sunday here. And she moves out of state. And God's hand just going before her. Uh, she's got a great job there. She continued her education. She's buying a house. She's moving next to family. She's just firing on all cylinders. Why? Because God always provides for his people. She kept her eyes on the Lord. And God raised her up. I don't care what we go through, man. If we keep our eyes focused on the Lord, uh, we don't have to worry. Christian, do not worry about trials, famines, hardships, whatever you might be going through. Uh, it is over and over. God has shown himself strong in the Bible. I wish we had time to read Psalm 27. Oh, David, uh, he understood this. His life was being hunted like an animal by King Saul. And David would say, the Lord is my light and my salvation. I shall not be afraid. One thing have I desired, that I might inquire of the Lord, that I might dwell in his temple, that I might receive from him the instruction of his word to guide my life because he is my shield, he is my light, he is my great reward. And when I am with him, I don't care what's coming my way. I can handle anything because my eyes are fixed on him and he's a good shepherd. He always provides for me, David would say. Uh, Psalm 27, you might want to read it, powerful. Uh, like David, if we keep our eyes on the Lord, no matter what comes down the road, uh, we will see God's good hand and his favor upon our lives, and he will sustain us. He is an amazing shepherd. Um, 
I, I marvel at him. And here, even in severe famine, Israel is thriving, growing, and multiplying. Uh, we're going to move on now. Uh, verse 29, a, a little bit of a change. 17 years now goes by. And Israel's life is now ending. He came to Egypt at 130 years old. He's now 147. And God has built him into an incredible man of faith. We're going to see some things that God has done. Do you remember how slimy Jacob was at the beginning of this whole thing? Many months back, right? When we were studying his life. Uh, I mean, he would, he would cheat on every deal to profit himself, right? He would lie to elevate himself. He would do anything to close the deal. He was just, he cared about nothing else but himself, Right? And now we are going to see a man that God has built, a great man of faith. And by faith, Jacob looks beyond his death in Egypt. And he has such clarity. He has such wisdom. He says, I don't want to be buried in Egypt. I want to be buried in the promised land. And uh, powerful. Uh, Take a look. Verse 29. Uh, Let's look at this man of character here that God has built. Verse 29. Uh, When the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, Now, if I have found favor in your sight, please put your hand under my thigh and deal kindly and truly with me. That seems weird. Put your hand under my thigh? Uh, That is weird, right? Uh, That was a common custom in that day of making a contract. Uh, and it makes sense if you kind of think about it. I'm glad we just sign on paper now. I, I like that better than grabbing someone's thigh. Uh, uh, but think about it. They would, you know, they'd be sitting in a chair face to face and you would put your hand under the person's thigh. Grab them up the, the, the meat of the leg, right? And what would that do? Well, that would cause you to be face to face. Eye to eye holding on to each other. And it was a way of saying, hey, this is really important to me. This is an agreement. I really want your focus. I really want your attention. That's what Israel is doing here with his son. Listen, please deal kindly and truly with me. If you can't do it, just tell me so, right? Because I'm going to ask you something super important. Shoot straight with me, he's saying. Okay, what is it, Israel? What is it that you want? Here's what he wants. Please do not bury me in Egypt. But let me lie with my fathers, with Abraham, with Isaac. You shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. That was in the promised land. That was not theirs yet. The only piece of land they owned in the promised land was this little cave of Machpelah. It is still there to this day. It's a famous site for uh, Christians and Muslims uh, because of Abraham. Uh, You shall carry me out of Egypt, bury me in that burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. Then he, that's Israel, said, swear to me. Uh, you You get the indication this might be important to him? He's already got his hand on his thigh. He says, swear to me. And he swore to him. So Israel bowed himself on the head of the bed. uh, And he just prays right there. Um, uh, What's going on here? Well, I want you to think about some things. 
Uh, how popular is Joseph in Egypt right now? Oh, he is the man. I mean, he just he just goes to Starbucks and like, you know, just people love him because he's a selfless king. He saved their, their sons' lives, their daughters' lives, their lives, right? They're like so thankful for him. Now, if they are that, if they love Jacob that much, excuse me, if they love Joseph that much, how do you think they, what do you think they think of Israel, his father? What kind of stature does Israel have in, Joseph, in, in Egypt right now? Oh, a tremendous honor, right? A tremendous honor. But think about this. Uh, rather than being buried in a royal, rich, wealthy Egyptian tomb, Israel says, no, 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 no. I want to be buried in the promised land. We looked last week at Joseph's tomb. It was elaborate. You know, if you know anything about history, uh, what the wealthy in Egypt did in their tombs, right? It was like quite a hoopla. Israel could have had all the fame, the parades, the pomp and circumstance of a rich, royal, uh, uh, you know, uh, leader of Egypt kind of burial. And instead, Israel sees his destiny in the promises that God made to him. I want to be buried in the promised land where nobody will know you where he will have no fame, pomp, or circumstance. There will be not thousands gathered around. There will be no one there. He doesn't care. He simply wants, he simply values the promises that God made to him. What promises? That the promised land would be theirs. Over time, Israel had learned to treasure God's promises. And one of God's promises that God repeated to him is, Israel, I'm going to bring you back into the promised land. You'll remember uh, just last week we looked at it when Israel started to make this journey down to Egypt. He gets all the way down to the south at Beersheba. It's the last place in Israel before you enter into the wilderness desert. And he stops and he offers sacrifices. And God had promised Israel this. He said, Israel, it's my will for you to go down to Egypt. I will be with you there. I will make you a great nation there. Just like I told your father, Abraham, you're going to go into a distant nation and you will be there for 400 years. But I will bring you out again as a great nation and then I will give you all of this land. And Israel is treasuring that promise that God made him. What a difference in Jacob's life. Think about Jacob who for over 20 years was willing to stay out of the promised land to make a buck. Who didn't care about being in the promised land. He only wanted to make a buck. And there he would lie and cheat on business deals uh, say that the, you know, putting striped rods in front of the sheep to try to make them get, you know, just, just to make more money. Uh, hopefully you know what all that means because we studied that together. Um, but he was, he was working every angle, not caring about the promises of God. And now look at him now. He, he could have the richest burial in Egypt with 
hundreds of thousands there, uh, and all the pomp and circumstance, he says, no, I care none of that. I only care about the promises God put on my life. Swear to me, Joseph, swear to me. Uh, and Joseph confirms this with a solemn oath. Uh, why is it so important to Joseph, excuse me, why is it so important to Israel uh, that he makes him swear twice with his hand on his leg? Why is it so important to Israel? What is going on? Uh, well, uh, not only does he see his destiny and the promises God made to him, but secondly, Israel has also learned to make obeying God his utmost priority. Hey, I don't care what else that may happen. I want to obey God. Uh, uh, I want to do what the Lord says. Uh, what difference does it make? You're dead. I don't know what difference it makes. I don't understand it. But I want to be in the land God told me to be in. Can I tell you something? When we begin to obey God and make it our utmost priority, God will test us in these things by causing us to obey him when it doesn't make what? Sense. Why would he do that? Because if we only obey him when it makes sense, who's the Lord? We are. And God will lead us to places where what requires us to obey him, even when it seems maybe not as good. Why? Because that is the only time that we can show that he is the Lord of our life. Lord of our life means that we obey him even when it seems maybe not the best way to go. If we only do it when we know it's the best for us, who are we, who's really the Lord of our life? We are. And so we memorize verses that we don't even fully grasp what we're saying. Uh, just out of curiosity, how many of you have Proverbs 3, 5 memorized? Raise your hand, big and, big and proud here for a second. How many of you have Proverbs 3, 5? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Like, okay, raise your hand if you got it. Keep it up for a second. Don't be shy. All right, it looks like about 40% of you. First service had about 50%. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm teasing. Um, let's think about that verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Uh, that's Proverbs 3, 5. Most of us haven't memorized uh, verse 7. That's 5 and 6. Most of, verse 7 says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. That gives us some clarity on what verses 5 and 6 mean. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and what? Lean not on your own understanding. Yeah, well, I know the Bible says this, but I think this would be better. What are you leaning on? Hmm. The Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it brings death and destruction. And we see it all the time in our daily lives. Well, we love each other. We've been dating now for a long time. I don't think there's anything wrong with us sleeping together. I mean, we love each other. We're committed to it. This is exclusive. I mean, we're practically married in God's eyes. No, you're not. And don't, don't fall for that deception. 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Well, I think two people can get married. It doesn't matter if they're both boys or if they're both girls. It doesn't matter. As long as they love each other, don't lean on what? Your own understanding. Learn to obey God at your utmost priority. And you will be wise. You will be substantial. You will be the head and not the tail. You will be the leader, not the follower. You will be the giver, not the borrower. You will be the one that has wisdom and discernment in life. God will raise you up because God's ways work. And I want you to know, if you are young here this morning, uh, you can be, have wisdom beyond your years. By prioritizing and learning to obey God's word. It will make you wise beyond your years. If you are young and you can keep yourself from drink, from drugs, from sexual immorality, including pornography, and you can start seeking God's word, You can start serving others and valuing humility. Uh, And when everyone else in your dorm is out getting high, you put God first. You read the Bible. You obey him. You walk in his ways. I want you to know something. You will have a great life. God will give you wisdom and discernment. You will be perceptive. You will be strong. You will know how to build amazing relationships. You will know how to go out and and find the right kind of mate and be the right kind of mate and be the right kind of businessman or woman and thrive in this world that God has, has, has called you to because God always provides for his people. And when you put his word as your highest priority, uh, you will have an amazing life set apart from the rest of the world. Amazing that Israel has learned this. He went from being the trickster, the swindler, the guy who would cheat on any deal for profit to a man who is completely governed by God. No wonder he has a name change from Jacob, which means heel catcher, uh, deceiver, uh, to Israel, which means governed by God. Uh, And this is God's work in our life. This is what he wants to do in our life. And the wise run to him for these things. Israel has learned that obeying God is his utmost priority. And he says, hey, uh, swear to me. I want to keep his word, man. I want to be buried in the promised land. Uh, And additionally... Israel values building up others' faith in God. Bury me in the promised land. Why is that so important to you? Well, because he he's values building up others' faith in God. You say, how so? I don't get it. Well, think about what a powerful message for his family, both now and in the generations to come, this truth of saying, uh, how'd you get down here? Well, our father Israel. Well, where is? Oh, he's buried in the promised land. Why? Because... God foretold that we would be in this land for 400 years, Genesis 15. But afterwards, we're coming out. God told Abraham that we would be strangers in a foreign land, Egypt, for 400 years. And it would start really well with, with, with uh, you know, uh, but with Joseph in power and all that. 
But it would turn, we're going to, you know, we would read in Exodus that this Pharaoh forgot about Joseph as time goes on. And it's amazing how we were so short-sighted in history, right? And they oppressed the Jewish people and they made them slaves. And how important it would be for the generations to come to say, hey, our patriarchs, they believed that God was going to bring us into a promised land. This would have so much power on Joseph's life that in Genesis chapter 50, we'll see in a couple of weeks, Genesis chapter 50, Joseph says when he dies, what does he say about himself? Do not bury me here in Egypt. I showed you that beautiful tomb that he had, right? He says, no, I don't want to be buried there. I want to be buried in the promised land. Take my bones. When God takes you out of here, he's going to take you out of here and bring you into a promised land. Take my bones with you. And you want to hear something amazing? How righteous is, is Joseph's life? How, how, how good of a leader is he? It's phenomenal, right? There are a ton of things that he has done extremely well. Uh, there's a chapter in the Bible called the Hall of Faith, Hebrews chapter 11, where it takes these remarkable steps of faith that men and women have done over history, and it records them in this Hall of Faith. Guess what Joseph is in there for in the Hall of Faith? Saving the world from famine for seven years? Saving millions of people's lives? No. What Joseph is in the Hall of Faith for is having the faith to say, don't let my bones be buried in Egypt. Let my bones be buried only in the promised land, which he learned from who? His dad. Israel values building up others' faith in God. He said, I don't understand. Why is that such a big deal? Why would Hebrews, why would God put that in the hall of faith of all things? Why not all the other amazing things he did, like interpreting dreams and being faithful? And, you know, here's why. What was Joseph caring about when he said, don't bury me here? Well, he was caring about the generations to come that would look at these bones out on display of Joseph. And these little children would say, Mommy, Daddy, what are those bones there for? Well, there was a great leader in Egypt many years back, centuries back. And he said that God was going to take us out of this land of bondage and bring us into our own land. And he was so sure of it that he said, do not bury my bones here. And what might that do to every child who was suffering under the bondage, watching the bondage on their parents and everything else, knowing they were going to grow up? And what might that do to them? Strengthen their faith in the true and living God. Wow. And for that, God would say, that is in my hall of faith. Wow. Wow. Israel values building up others' faith in God. What a powerful message. Uh, 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 how are we doing on time? Uh, <laughs> uh, I wish we were. Uh, let's see if we can cover a little more ground. I want to look at this because uh, we'll do a few more verses and we'll prepare for communion. Uh, chapter 48, are you there? Uh, these next chapters are amazing. Um, as we move into chapter 48 and 49, Israel is going to prophesy over his children, he's going to bless his children. And it's amazing, uh, these prophecies that we're going to look at in chapter 49 in the weeks to come, these are prophetic prophecies that are eschatological. In other words, that are for end times events. 
And he is actually going to speak under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and utter out prophecies that God will use that will actually come into fruition in end times. We still have some great stuff to study in Genesis. Uh, chapter 48, he's going to bless his sons uh, here. Look at this. Uh, now it came to pass after these things that Joseph was told, indeed, your father is sick. Uh, there comes a day when we hear that, that phone call. Hey, you might want to get down here. Dad's really sick. I remember that call in my life. I knew it was coming. Uh, maybe you've heard it. It's a tender moment. It's a heartbreaking moment. Indeed, your father is sick. And he, that's Joseph, took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, as he often had in the past. And they went and visited their dad. And Jacob was told, look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And look at this. And Israel strengthened himself and sat up on the bed. He was near death. And he hears Joseph and his grandsons are coming. And he's like, <sighs> revives him and strengthens him, right? And he sits up on his deathbed there. Uh, here we see at 147 years of age, Israel on his deathbed. And Joseph brings his two sons to honor his father. And uh, it brings us to an application point that I cannot pass. Uh, parents, listen to me. You who are going to be parents, listen to me. We must teach our children to honor and to respect authority. It is paramount for their well-being. Uh, we must teach them to honor and to respect the authority that God has set in place. God has made the fifth commandment, honor, honor your mother and father. And we do a disservice to our children when we don't teach them to honor and to respect the authority that is over them. And you say, well, how do you do that? How do you teach your children to honor authority? Well, first and foremost, you have, we have to teach our kids to honor our authority. If they don't honor our authority, they're not going to honor any other authority. And so we have to teach them to honor our authority. Again, it's not an option. It's the fifth commandment. Honor your mother and father. That wasn't written to children. That was written to parents. Right? And we need to teach these things to our children. We need to command their respect. How do you do that? Well... There's a, a really peculiar thing called a family meal. Remember those? What if we actually all gather together at the family meal? It used to happen, I know this is crazy, three times a day. <laughs> and at the family meal, we turn off the TV. And we put the phones away. And we actually look at each other. And we get tired of looking at each other. We actually talk to each other. What a concept. If we're going to teach our children to honor authority, we have to first teach them to honor our authority. I was at Chipotle this last week on Thursday night. Uh, my wife disciples a group of gals, and that means I don't get dinner. Yeah, she does it at night. <laughs> so I went to Chipotle. And it was like 7.30, 8 o'clock. It was already just getting dark. And, and I pull into Chipotle and I park. And as I get out of my car, I notice the car next to me, there's a man in the front seat, his wife in the back seat, 
and about a two-year-old girl sitting in the back seat, out of her car seat, just sitting there. And as I'm getting out, I shut my door and I look over and I see the dad's eating a Chipotle bowl, the mom's eating a Chipotle bowl, fairly healthy for fast food, and the two-year-old is only eating chips and a soda. I thought, ugh, that's not good. And I look, and she's playing on an iPad, a little video game, swipe, 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 little children's video game. And so I go in and I order, and it takes a little while, and I come back out, there's a little bit of a line, I come back out, and as I come back out, nobody had moved. Her eyes are still focused on that screen, she's still eating chips and a soda, dad's not saying a word, he's in the front seat, mom's in the back seat, she's doing something on her phone, and nobody is talking to each other. And you know what that was a picture of? Not only was that chips and soda, a lack of nourishment, proper nourishment for that child physically, that was also a radical lack of nourishment for that child spiritually. That child needs to be spoken to and talked to and learn how to have dialogue and learn how to grow and learn what's going on in each other's lives and seeing mom and dad love each other and care for each other and seeing what healthy lo- that happens at the dinner table and it is so important that we teach our children to respect our authority if they're going to have respect any authority in the world if you want to raise a messed up individual raise them without any authority in their life But if you want to raise raise up a person who can thrive in life, they need to know how to honor and respect authority. Uh, uh, It begins with us. Uh, Model it in your home. How? Well, dinner is a great way, right? Here's another way. When you hear little Julie upstairs yelling at mom, Mom, I need a towel. I need this. Where's this? Dad, what should you do? You should stop whatever you're doing. You should walk upstairs. You should grab little Julie by the arm. You should turn her this way. Get eye-to-eye contact right on her level and say, don't you ever scream at your mom across the house. If you want to talk to mom, mom loves talking to you. Run downstairs. You can get it out of your system if you want. Go ahead. Run downstairs and talk to mom face to face. What are you doing? You are teaching her what? To value and respect authority. Dads, look for every opportunity you can. When I see a police officer, I come up to them and I stop whatever I'm doing and I shake their hand and I look them in the eye and I say, thank you so much for serving our community. And my kids, when they were young, would ask, Daddy, why do you do that? Here's why. Because every day when they go to work, they put their life in harm's way for you, for me. And we ought to show them respect. We ought to be grateful for that. And what are we doing? We are modeling for our children to honor and to respect authority. If we don't do it, our children will run amok. Uh, uh, I happen to know uh, that one of the best things we can give our kids is teaching them to value and to respect authority. 
And my kids are now grown. I tried hard on these things. But I ha if I had it to do over again, I would put even more eggs in that basket if I was a parent. So any of you who have young children, I would just say, man, really honker down there. Uh, it is God's command, and it is important. It's one of the best things we can do. I know that if Genesis 48 was written today, Joseph would have come to his father, and it would have gone something like this. Well, Dad, the boys didn't really want to come uh, because they've got travel ball, you know. Uh, and, uh, you know, they're, uh, you know baseball's really demanding on them, and, you know, they, uh, they couldn't be here today, Dad. Sorry. And you know what happened? They wouldn't learn how to respect and honor authority. They wouldn't be men of character, and they would miss out on God's blessings. Check this out. Take a look at this. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty, El Shaddai, in the Hebrew, El Shaddai appeared to me at Luz. Uh, he's recalling back 70 years ago. When God spoke to him and confirmed the Abrahamic covenant with him personally, the creator of the universe met him there. He changed the name of the place from Luz to what, you Bible scholars? Bethel, the house of God. Beth is house, El is God. Uh, the house of God, right? Uh, Genesis 28. Uh, God Almighty appeared to me in the land of Canaan and blessed me in the promised land. And he said to me, behold, I will make you fruitful and I will multiply you and I will make you a multitude of people and I will give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. It was 70 years ago, but he's speaking of it as it happened yesterday. He's re recanting the Abrahamic covenant. And look what he says. And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt, Gentiles in other words, before I came to you in Egypt, they are mine. Israel just adopts Ephraim and Manasseh on his deathbed. They are mine. They're not your kids anymore. They're mine. Just as Reuben and Simeon, uh, they shall be mine. Your offspring, if you have more kids, Joseph, whom you beget after them shall be yours. And they will be called by the name of their brothers, Ephraim and Manasseh, in their inheritance. Did you see what just happened right there? Did you see it? Israel just gave Jacob a double portion of the inheritance. The land was going to be divided between the 12 tribes of Israel. And now he says, not so now. Joseph, you don't have an allocation anymore. You now have two allocations. You have Ephraim and Manasseh. And the 12 tribes of Israel just became the 13 tribes of Israel. Joseph's name is taken off. And Ephraim and Manasseh are put in. And any more kids that Joseph has will fall under Ephraim and Manasseh's lineage, he tells them. What did he do? He just increased Joseph's inheritance 100-fold, right? Got a double portion of the inheritance. Uh, because uh, that was his heart all along. Uh, now he's going to go in and he's going to talk about his wife, Rachel. To, and I'll tell, tell you why in just a minute. Uh, uh, but as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan. Uh, when she was there just a little ways, a distance to go from Ephrath. Ephrath is Bethlehem. And I buried her there 
on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Uh, he speaks of Rachel dying when she gave birth to Benjamin. Here he is on his deathbed, and it's still just tender on his heart, first thing on his mind, uh, and he brings up Rachel here. Uh, and he remembers just, you know, uh, what is he doing? Well, here's what he's doing. He's honoring Joseph with a double portion of the inheritance, and he's honoring Rachel, uh, saying, hey, uh, her children will get a double portion of the inheritance here. Uh, uh, really cool to see um, uh, Israel blessing his sons, right? He's just uh, giving a, a double portion of the inheritance. The 12 tribes become uh, 13 tribes uh, now with Ephraim and Manasseh. Uh, and uh, it's interesting, Levi will become the priestly tribe and they will not get an inheritance of the land. So the 13 comes back to 12 as far as who gets the inheritance. That's why whenever you read in the Old Testament about the 12 tribes of Israel, they're always listed in different ways. Uh, there's more that can be said on that. But uh, uh, he blesses Ephraim and Manasseh here. And he says they're part of the family. Um, so important, men, that we bless our sons and daughters. Israel here blesses his sons. And he speaks words of life into them, gives them great promises. And I want you to know something, God honored it. God honored it. Uh, here we see the supernatural power of a father's blessing. These things that Israel speaks, God honored them and became prophetic. And I believe, dads, that God is speaking to us as fathers the power of speaking blessings into our children's lives, both from birth all the way into adulthood. Speak blessings upon your children. Um, we don't have time to go in, but we're, uh, verse 8 would take us into this blessing he puts on them. I wish we had time to go into it. We'll hit it in the weeks to come. Uh, but the, uh, these blessings become prophetic, supernatural power of a father's blessing. Just amazing. Uh, something happened here. I don't know if you saw it or not, but something happened here. Uh, when does next service start? Uh, uh, I'm going to try to squeeze something in. Uh, JC is going to kill me. Uh, I'm going to try to squeeze something. This will be the last time we look at this. We talked about how Joseph's life was a prophetic foreshadow of who? of Jesus. And as the men prepare the elements to pass out for communion, let your heart be thinking on all that God has done to purchase your salvation. Let's look at these things. This will be the last time I show you these on the screens. We have some more to add to our list today. Uh, if some of these don't make sense, you might want to go back and listen to our previous studies. But here's the first one. The father sends the son, his beloved son, to the tribes of Israel on a mission of love. Do you remember when Israel sent Joseph to his brothers, right? On a mission of love to check on them. Well, God, uh, Abraham, excuse me, uh, that happened to Joseph. That also happened to who? To Jesus. The father sent the son on a mission of love to his brothers. Uh, number two, he was rejected by his brothers because of his testimony, rejected by his own brethren, the tribes of Israel. Happened to Joseph, happened to who? Jesus. Number three. Number three. He was beaten and left for dead. Wow. Happened to Joseph. Happened to Jesus. His tunic was taken by his captors. Happened to Joseph. Happened to Jesus. Uh, 
He was falsely accused and arrested. Happened to Joseph with Potiphar. Happened to Jesus. Uh, he is the uh, he preached uh, to the spirits in prison. Uh, you remember when Joseph was in prison? Uh, two prisoners came in. Uh, he gave two messages to them. One of them was going to be restored, a message of salvation. The other one was going to be killed, a message of judgment. Uh, Jesus did the same thing we studied. There's the verses for it. If you meant it, Jesus, he preached. One thief on the cross, he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. The other thief, he said, you're going to, you know, he went to hell, right? Uh, he also then went and preached to the spirits who were in prison, a message of salvation, a message of judgment. Uh, he's the savior of the world. Joseph saved the world from starvation. Uh, Jesus, the greater savior who saved the world from sin and complete eternal separation from God. Amazing parallels. He began his ministry at 30 years of age. Happened to Joseph? Happened to Jesus. Uh, he was an alleged criminal, instantly raised to power and seated at the right hand. Happened from Joseph? Happened to Jesus. He was given a name that means God speaks and saves lives. Joseph's name, Zapnatpania, given that name, Jesus, uh, his name, Jesus. Uh, which is the Hebrew of Yehoshua, which means Jehovah is salvation. Uh, amazing, just amazing foreshadows. Every knee must bow. Happened to Joseph, happened to Jesus. Uh, he was appointed a Gentile bride. Joseph took an Egyptian bride in Egypt. Strange story for a Hebrew story. Takes a Gentile bride. Jesus takes a Gentile bride. You, the church. Uh, from that Gentile bride, he has two children, Manasseh and Ephraim. Manasseh means God has made me forget sin. And uh, Ephraim means God has called me to be fruitful. Uh, that is us as the children of the Gentile bride church, right? Uh, our sin is forgotten and we are fruitful in the uh, fruit of the Holy Spirit. Just amazing. Uh, he is the Lord of the present harvest age, the seven years of plenty, the church age. Uh, Jesus is the Lord of that age. He's also the Lord of the coming seven-year tribulation period. Uh, Joseph was Lord of both. Jesus is Lord of both. Just amazing. Uh, Israel was blind, unable to recognize Joseph, their own brother, who was the Savior King. The Jews were blind, unable to recognize Jesus, their own brethren, as the creator of the universe, the Savior King of the world. Remarkable parallels. Uh, Israel did not recognize him, Joseph, at the first coming, but their eyes were opened and they recognized him at the second coming. Same thing will happen with the nation Israel. They did not recognize Jesus at his first coming. Uh, we looked at this in previous studies, Zechariah 12, etc. They will see him. Their eyes will be open. They will see him at his second coming and understand he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He freely forgives and restores those who hated him and sinned against him. Joseph did that for his brothers. Uh, Jesus does that for us. Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. Remarkable parallels. His evil brothers, Israel, in, intended, excuse me, the evil brother, <laughs> I can't read. The evil his brothers, Israel, intended, <laughs> the evil his brothers intended, God used for good, should have a comma there, God used for good to save mankind. Uh, uh, Joseph said, hey, uh, 
I know you meant this for evil. God has used it for good to save the world from entire, raise me up. And Jesus, uh, same thing. Uh, evil thought it won when it put Jesus on the cross. And through it, God purchased the salvation of mankind. Just amazing. Uh, uh, here's some new ones. Uh, verse 21, he gives his wretched, sinful brethren new garments of royalty and righteousness. Joseph did it for his brothers. Jesus does it for you and I, clothed with his righteousness. That's what communion is all about, clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Uh, next one. His Gentile sons are grafted in, receiving full status as God's people. Uh, welcome to Romans, by the way. Uh, we are grafted in to all the promises and blessings that God, uh, of God's people. Uh, and the last one, everything on earth, Jew and Gentile, are brought under his authority and sovereign rule as he rules as a selfless king over all the earth. Happened to Joseph. And I long for the day when it will happen to this world. Everything brought under his reign. Amazing parallels. It's God sovereignly working through the life of Joseph to bring glory to Jesus Christ. And God sovereignly working in your life through all the problems and everything else to bring glory to Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of your faith, the one who will provide for you and all that you go through. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.